I'll start out this morning and I'll tell you about this story of a church. The names um, have been changed to protect the innocent, but it's a story of a church. Um, Twin Springs Church started in a growing community. It was a plant of another downtown church that saw an opportunity to reach more people in the other part of their city for Jesus. So it started with seven families and they went to reach other people as a new church. And at its peak, they started in a really good place that was prime for growth. There was good business, the economy was good, and there were more people that were moving into that area. It was growing. So the church, Twin Springs Church, grew from those seven families to their peak attendance uh, to 450 people. That peak happened at about 1985. Now, what happened after 1985 is the economy in that area shifted. The population around them wasn't growing quite as much, so they didn't grow past that mark. And what happened over the course of the next three decades is that they lost on what average was about one attender a year. And now that sounds pretty good. You just lose one person a year, but you extrapolate that over 30 years. The church of 450 from 1985 in 2015 was running 90. Now, what happened is that then the church found themselves in a place, in a building that they couldn't afford that was too big for them, and it was cavernous. It felt like nobody was there when they came to show up. And unless something drastic and dramatic happens, the church in just a few years would have to close their doors. It's easy to look back on things and to try to diagnose problems, right, to, to question our favorite coach or sports team or doctor or whatever and said, hey, they should have done this as we, in hindsight, can look back. But what happened in, as people who love the church and want more people to come to reach Jesus, as they looked back and they tried to figure out how do we prevent this from happening again for Twin Springs Church or any other church, as they looked back, they noticed a variety of things. Because as most things in life, life is complicated. There's lots of different variables that fit in. But what they noticed is that the culprit of the church of 450, losing 360 people over the course of 30 years to 90. They hadn't had a full-time preacher in 12 years, and they were going to have to close or do something very drastic. Is that they never developed a DNA of going. The church never developed a DNA of going. And what we'll talk about today is the church. It's from Jesus' greatest command, that he gives us at the end of his life after he's resurrected and he spent times with his disciples. And he says, go into all the nations, teaching them everything that I have taught you and teaching them to be, to be baptized and to live the life that I've called for them to do. What Jesus has told us to do is to go. So for us as Christians, we're talking about today, I will go. Now, exactly that place that God is calling for you to go is going to be different in all the nitty-gritty details for each one of us. But make no mistake about it, God is calling for me to go with my faith. And what is found often to be true is that this may sound like a medical commercial, but it's not, okay? If a church has a growing problem, it probably has a going problem. If we're having trouble reaching people for Jesus, we probably have a going problem. We're not doing this primary imperative that Jesus told us that we're to do, to go into the world. The translation there is as you are going, as you are living, as you are working, as you are in relationship with other 
people. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach, showing them how to live, to do for others what Jesus did for his disciples. He modeled his message. And he said, this is the truth. This is how you're to live. This is what I want you to do. And here's how you're going to go out and live it as well. In fact, you could go so far as to say that Twin Springs Church, they'd exchange the Holy Trinity for a new trinity. The trinity that they focused on the most wasn't God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is why I love this song. It's repetitive, but it's core of what we believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. And you guys, that last verse just crushes me every time. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in God's holy church. I about lose it every time I hear that. And you know what? At least for me, I need more of those opportunities in my life where God intersects with me, and I feel it in my emotions. And it moves me to do something. But perhaps what Twin Springs Church did, and what we want to make sure that we don't do, is we don't exchange the Holy Trinity for just a basic new trinity of me, myself, and I. Because for me, it becomes very easy to focus on me and what I like and what I prefer and what I think is best. The thing that I feel that I think all Christians should do because those are the ways that God has gifted me. The most likely culprit that we find of a church that's not growing, helping people to grow in their faith and reaching new people for Jesus is that they're not going outside their walls. And for us, or for me, that means I'm not going outside my walls of the comfort that I have as a Christian and that I'm not looking for the opportunities as Keith prayed about, the people that God puts in front of me to be prepared to talk about my faith. So in our time together this morning, we're going to talk about this imperative, this command that Jesus gives us that I will go. Because we know that being obedient to Jesus doesn't start with you, it starts with me. And it starts with my heart. And as God convicts me, as he will continue to do my entire life, every day of it, this side of heaven, God's going to be working to convict me, to help me to grow, to help me to better understand what God, who God is, as presented in Scripture. And then, because of that, what I'm supposed to turn around and that I'm going to go do I'm going to read from Acts chapter 1, uh, the first uh, handful of verses or so, if you want to follow along. The book of Acts in the New Testament comes right after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you know, to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on. He was lifted up, and a large cloud, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, two men came and stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This is Jesus, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Several things that we learned from this account right after Jesus' resurrection and what he did last week. We celebrated Resurrection Sunday and we read a story from Matthew 28 about an account of Jesus on that first Sunday after he came from the tomb and it was empty and how he appeared to his different believers and his followers. But here's one of the stories that follows that. It's after the resurrection accounts that you can read at the end of the Gospels, how Jesus appeared to his disciples and he did some pretty miraculous things as Jesus um, honestly always does and still continues to do today. But we learn several things. We also learn that Jesus, he appeared to them for a period of 40 days after his resurrection. So for 40 days, for a month and a third or however that math breaks down, Jesus appeared to people physically, teaching them, showing them his wounds. So we don't know how many people Jesus showed up to, his resurrected body. We know at least it was a lot, hundreds of people, 500 at one time, 1 Corinthians tells us, several other disciples at times, so we don't know exactly how many, but it was a lot. Imagine how many people Jesus encountered over the course of those 40 days. Just think about the stories of Jesus that you may have heard from the Gospels where Jesus is walking around and teaching and healing and these crowds are always come to Jesus and they say things like, man, this rabbi is different from any other rabbi that I have ever heard. He speaks as one who has authority, not given to him by man, but he just has an authority that's different. How much more so do you think Jesus traveling around after his public execution, after his public trial, after his public display? That Jesus, that miracle worker, came back alive. People had to have been just drawn to Jesus after he's brought back out from the tomb. So we know that Jesus spent a period of 40 days appearing to his disciples and ministering to them and saying, hey, guys, remember what I told you was going to happen? Okay, that happened. I just want to make sure you remember and you know what you're supposed to do. And then Jesus tells them, there's these famous words that we read in the church a lot. And they say, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? And Jesus says, it is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. What that tells me as a child of my father is that there's some things I just don't need to know. There's some things that it's just not important for me to know exactly how God has planned out to do, which I don't know about you guys, but that bothers me because I like to know stuff. Right? I like to know how things are going on. I like to know at least what the plan is so I don't go crazy, okay? Anybody feel me on that? But there's some things that I just don't need to know, and I'm learning that with Ella, with my oldest, who will be six next month. There's some things that she just doesn't need to know. Some things she just doesn't need to know yet. But Daddy, why? But Daddy, why? But Daddy, why? Just because, right? <laughs> Sometimes that's just the answer. But there's some things that the God has fixed by his own authority that I don't need to know, but I can trust God knowing that he'll handle the details. But then Jesus says to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have this command that Jesus gives right before what is his ascension. He is taken up into heaven. And it's described that he'll come back in the same way that he was taken up into heaven. So there's not quite as much mystery to some of the stories about Jesus and how things are going to look like as we think. 
But Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We know that happens a little bit later in the book of Acts. Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, where the church is started. And he says, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my disciples. You'll be the ones who tell others about me and what I did and what I believe. First in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea, and then all Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. What happens if you think about it on a map, it's kind of over, overlapping circles. Judea, or Jerusalem, is right where they are. Then Judea is the bigger area around them. And then Samaria is the bordering regions, and then to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, really what he's telling his believers, he says, start where you are right now. Don't overlook what's right in front of you. And for our purposes today, I want us to focus on Jerusalem. Because Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he says, focus on the people that you're going to come in contact with today. Focus on those people that you live around. Focus on those people that you already have relationships with and you interact with. And we can deal with Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth because we're called to do that too. Those are a part of it, but it's with purpose that Jesus said, start here. Start with where you are. Start with the school where you work or where you attend. Start with your family. Start with your neighborhood. Start with your job. Start with the group of the community center that you go to. Start it with your quilting group. Start with the people that you have around you first. And let's not neglect those people for the sake of the people in Africa that, hey, we're called to help them too, but in a different way. Jesus says, Jerusalem, focus on those people that you have contact with, that you can look them in the eye, that you can talk to them, that you can have a meal with. Talk to them that way. This problem that I know that I tend to have with going, with my faith, with going out, and the word we use for it in the church is evangelism, but going out and sharing my faith, Jesus, it's not optional for him. That's why Jesus said in Luke, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. That was his primary purpose for coming, to be obedient to the Father, to do all the things that God had called for Jesus to do. But he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And I think what I find to be true for me more often than I care to admit is that my theology of lostness isn't as strong as it needs to be. Let me explain what I meant by that. My theology of lostness isn't as strong as it needs to be. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says that there are people who are lost, who are dying, who are alienated, who are separated from God because of our sin. And they're going to spend eternity away from God. And that's why Jesus said he came to seek, to save the lost. Because without Jesus... We're lost. Every one of us is. People who aren't following Jesus are lost. They're going to spend eternity in hell if I don't share Jesus with them. People are going to spend eternity separated from God if you don't share Jesus with them. I can't reach everybody. You can't reach everybody. But through the power of God and His Spirit and the people that He puts in our lives, we can reach a lot of people. But guess what? It's not our job to convict them. It's not our job to make them believe because we can't do that. But what it is my job, absolutely unequivocally, it is my job to be ready when God puts the people in my path, in my city, in my Jerusalem, right in front of my face. To be prepared to tell them 
about what I believe and to tell them what is so important to us. Because there are lost people who are dying, who are dead, that they need Jesus. And too often I look at people who are lost and I go, man, I really wish they lived more like I did. They're annoying. I don't like the way they raise their kids. I don't like the words that their kids say around my kid, and I have to explain what that is. I don't like how they're rude to one another, and then I have to explain to my child that's not how we behave to other people. I don't like that. But what I should not like more is the fact that they need Jesus just as much as I still continue to need Jesus today. So as I look out at people, I need to always view things how Jesus viewed things. And Jesus looked at you, and he looks at me through the view of the cross because he knew that he had to suffer and to die, and that was the only way to fix what I broke in my relationship with God. That little word is sin, caused an enormous separation between us and our Father. So what we are called to do is to let other people know about what we believe and why it is so important. Jesus left no doubt to this issue. I'm going to read a couple verses from John chapter 14. John 14, 1 and following, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says very clearly, and he doesn't leave any doubt to it, and he says that I am the only way. The thing that I love about the Gospel of John is we have these different signs, these sayings of Jesus where he says, I am. Here he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Compound that with Luke 19, where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, that I have to care about people who don't know Jesus. And I have to care about them enough to be willing to share the truth of the gospel with them. Whether they believe or not isn't on me, but God has called for me and for us as the church to be a spiritual army that we release onto the community around us that we are looking for opportunities to share Jesus with people. And it's not optional for us. And I know that I need to do a better job at that. And maybe you feel the same way that I do. Now, a lot of times what, what I find, and I think what happens to be true for Christians, we, we read what Jesus says. And we go, well, yeah, but... We're really good with, yeah, well, yeah, buts, <laughs> right? We have some objections. We might say, hey, well, that's not my spiritual gift. In fact, we read in Scripture that there are spiritual gifts that are given out each according to the measure that God has designed for us to have, and God apportions those to us. And we have some different names, spiritual gifts, that we can read about in Scripture that talks about gifts of mercy and gifts of hospitality and gifts of leadership and gifts of administration and gifts of evangelism. That's one of them listed on there. So what would happen to us if we would say, well, there's different gifts that are given to different people, and we together as the church were different parts of one body, and Jamie has the gift of evangelism, and I don't. He just loves talking to people, and I hate people, and I say the wrong things. 
So Jamie has the gift of evangelism, and that's why God gave us Jamie in the church, so he can tell other people about Jesus. I don't have that gift. All right, well, let's think about that through, through the lens of a couple other things. What we also are told in Scripture is that there are people that have the gifts of mercy. Some of y'all have that. You have the spiritual gift of mercy, and you're going to be merciful towards other people. Well, now, would we ever say, well, Theresa is really merciful with people. I don't have to be. Does that excuse me from showing mercy to other people? Or what about this? It talks about some have the gift of generosity, of giving, a spiritual gift that is bestowed on people. So can I, as a Christian, say, well, God didn't give me that one. Thankfully, whoo, I'm off the hook, right? I didn't get that spiritual gift of giving that other people were given. In the same way that it doesn't work with giving or, or hospitality. Mercy. It doesn't work with evangelism. Yet there are some of us who are gifted at that, that are just better at it naturally, and some people who are better at evangelism of sharing their faith because, honestly, they've worked really hard at it. And they've prayed, God, show me how to have conversations with people who are, or don't have my faith. God, open up to me chances for me to share with Jesus people, and it's okay if I fall on my face, but God, help me to learn and help me to know what to say better next time. So let's not let ourselves off the hook by saying that's not my spiritual gift because that's just an excuse. God has called for all of us to be willing to share, to evangelize our faith with other people, or to use that short word, we're called to go and to share and to look for opportunities. Now, some other objections that we come up with, we say, well, I don't have time. Well, guess what? It's not true. Because you always have time for what your priorities are in life. Always. Every day. I always make time for what my priorities are in life. And if I'm telling myself that I don't have time, it means that I don't, am not making it a priority. And from where I sit, for me, if I'm not making a priority about telling people about Jesus and sharing my faith. For me, that is sin. And I've got to do what I can to eradicate sin from my life and do what God has commanded for me to do. Or maybe we want to object. We say, well, I don't want to impose my beliefs on others. Imagine if the Apostle Paul had taken that mindset. Well, I don't want to oppose my, impose my beliefs on other people. They can believe what they want to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe. What if the disciples had taken on that mindset? Well, yeah, I know Jesus told me this and that this is true and this is where the church will start. And my life has been changed. I don't want to impose my beliefs on other people. That's a sickness of the mind that our culture around us has got us as the church to believe in. Or you might say that, well, I don't, I'm just not comfortable talking to other people. I'm more introverted than extroverted and my personality doesn't really fit well. But you know what? You can reach people. We're all called to reach people. God doesn't say, uh, there's not a thing in Scripture about our personality types and what we're good at and say, well, I'm introverted, so I don't have to go do those things and tell people about my faith. It just doesn't line up with the lens that we're given to understand the life that we're to live through Scripture. I'll tell you a story that, that uh, two guys, uh, you can read about it in Acts chapter 4, and I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. I'm just going to read a couple verses that Peter and John were put in jail for telling people about Jesus. They were put in jail for telling people about Jesus. That's the account that we read. And they were put before the, the, the council in front of them. And they said they didn't like actually what it says here. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4. But many who had heard the word believed, and the number came to be about 5,000. So the other religious leaders of the day were mad because Peter and John were telling people and that they were believing it, that they were buying it. 
and that they were upset, and they threw him in prison. It was the end of the day. They said, we'll just leave him there till tomorrow. And then what happens a little bit further on, they say, well, we'll let you go, but you can't talk about the name of Jesus ever again. And Peter and John respond this way in Acts 4, verses 19 and 20. It says, so they called them, these religious leaders, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John couldn't shut up about Jesus, yet what I find more, more often than I care to admit is that Christians today, myself included, aren't even willing to speak about Jesus, let alone not shut up about him when threatened with further imprisonment or to lose the freedoms or the things that they'd worked hard for. I'm going to give you some, some action steps, some things that you can do. We want to have this, this DNA of going in us, that we're going to let other people know about what we believe and what we are called to do. The very first thing, it kind of seems kind of simple, but a lot of times I think we overstep the simple things and we miss an awful lot of what God will teach us. Pray for opportunities. That's the first one. Every single one of us can do that. Pray for opportunities to share Jesus with somebody. Don't buy into the lies that the devil tries to tell you that they're not going to respond or they're not going to listen or I know them and I've done that before and other people have tried. I'm not going to say the right thing or they don't really care. Pray for opportunities to share somebody with Jesus. Tom Rainer tells this story. He said one morning that he'd asked God very specifically, he says, God, help me share Help me have an opportunity to share my faith with someone. And he said that afternoon, one of his former bosses from when he worked in the banking industry called him and wanted to meet for lunch. When they met for lunch, he found out that that boss called Tom for the sole purpose of he had questions about Jesus and he wanted to talk to somebody about it. Now, the very interesting thing, even more so about that, Tom prayed that morning and said, God, give me opportunity. Somebody called his former boss and said, hey, meet me for lunch. And he did. Is that Tom said he hadn't spoken to that man in 27 years. Yet through this opportunity that he said, I'm going to pray for a chance to share. He had a call from somebody he hadn't seen in 27 years that wanted to meet him for lunch because he had questions about Jesus. Friends, pray for opportunities to share your faith. Another really simple but often overlooked thing that we can do is, hey, invite people to come to worship with us. In fact, Tom Rainer, he does research in the church, and he, he's a pastor and a teacher, and he loves the church, and uh, he has a lot of really helpful content for us to reach more people for Jesus, because that's what we want. His theology of lostness is better than mine, and that's, I want to do that, because I want more people to come to know Jesus. He says, perhaps the most shocking statistic that he has come across in his decades of doing research for the church and how we can help people to grow in their faith is this. He says, eight of ten people who don't attend church will come to worship if somebody invites them. Eight to ten people will come to worship if they are invited who aren't already coming. Pray for opportunities. 
invite someone to worship. Don't say, I'll save you a seat next to me. Say, I will meet you outside in the parking lot and I will show you where your kids can go. I'll show you where the bathrooms are. You can sit with me. I'll explain to you what happens. If your row is full where you sit, come here, sit somewhere else with them and say, come to me with worship and let them know what to expect. And what we also need to do is pray for opportunities, invite people to worship, is intentionally look for new opportunities. Look for opportunities to share your faith, to bring up conversations about Jesus, to steer it towards stuff that matters instead of the weather. We talk about the weather a lot. That's pretty pointless. Weather's going to do whatever the weather does. Maybe think about it through this lens, praying for opportunities. I find that I like looking for cars. I like spending other people's money. If you want to help look for a car, I'll do that shopping for you. I like doing that research. My wife hates it. I love it. It's a sickness my dad and I have. It's a hunt or something about it anyway. But what I find is that anytime, if you've if you ever done this, you decide that you're looking for a car and you decided what you want to get, you can't help but see that car everywhere. Everywhere. It's all over the place. That's all over the place. Once you start looking for it and once you decide, now are there any more of those? Like we drive a white Honda Odyssey now. I see those things all over the place. Now, are there any more white Honda Odysseys on the road than there were before I decided I wanted a white Honda Odyssey? No. What happened? My perspective changed about how I was looking at the world. And just that little shift in perspective, looking for opportunities to share with lost people or even to share with people who they might already be believers and we don't know it, but maybe God will use them to strengthen our faith or he'll use us to strengthen their faith. Our framework changes when we pray for opportunities, when we invite people to come and to check out what the church is about, when we intentionally look for opportunities, and when we're prepared to speak when the opportunity arises. Because, friends, one person in a church can make a difference. One member committed to going can ignite a fire. Other people can be reached. We want to have this desire to go. This burning fire in us that we can't help but tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that you make us more like Peter and John. God, they're just men and we're not trying to emulate them, but God, give us this fire in us that we can't help but talk about Jesus. Father, may we look for opportunities to share. God, even in the midst of fear, may we overcome that. And God, I pray that you give us the words to say to make you look great. It's not really hard to do. God, you are so loving and so kind. I pray that we have this burden in us to share you with the world. God, may our commitment to reaching people who don't know Jesus be just as strong as Jesus' commitment to reaching us before we came to him. God, may we encourage one another along the way. May we show mercy to those that are around us. God, may we stick out a hand to help others up when we fall. God, thank you so much for your word and for that you have given us very clearly what we are to do. God, we love you. In Christ's name, I ask all of these things. Amen.